Welcome to Soul Rio, a church where God is made center, families made stronger, and lives restored. Today's sermon is entitled, Love in Giving, presented by Pastor Michael Summers, on February 2nd, 2020. Some things about that. Again, if you did not get the information, please come get some information to help on that. I'm available to help with that. But look there at what it says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then it has Matthew 22, 37 through 40 and Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. So find those two passages. Don't lose Matthew because we're going to come back to Matthew 25 here in just a minute. But we're going to look at three different passages and talk about loving God as stewards in a way perhaps you've never looked at before. Now, as you're doing that, find those passages. We're going to be fairly quick because it's 40 after, and I was told, be done by two. So we're going to go real quick. But on, on that, there's some other verses here, and so... We'll leave that up later, or you can get later and, and see those verses. But we want to look at this a little bit different way. So as I think about being a steward, what does that mean? Well, we talked about being a caretaker, but now I want to tie, tie it to loving God. What does it really mean? So look at Matthew 22, beginning there in verse, let's start in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, now this is the last week before he's crucified, and they keep coming and asking him questions and trying to trick him, so they have a reason to crucify him, saying he broke some religious law. The Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Now, he was an expert in religious law. Not the Ten Commandments, not just Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, but in all the tens of thousands of rules they had added to it. And he says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, for all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, Jesus doesn't pick one. Instead, he quotes Scripture to him. That's where you need to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, there in verse 4, is a passage known as the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. And this passage starts with hear, O Israel, listen up. And so they refer to it as the Shema passage. This passage, every child memorized as one of the first pieces of Scripture that they would memorize. It's an oral tradition. They don't have written notes, and so they had to memorize everything. This is one of the things, as a preschooler, they had already memorized this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is our God. He is one. Shema Israel. Adonai on Ehun. Adonai on. They learned that early on. And they sang it. But then what does it say? 
Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Now, it said mind in Matthew. Why? Well, in Matthew, we're in the New Testament thousands of years later, and we are talking in Aramaic. But it's translated into Greek. The Greek that we have here in the New Testament is a Koine Greek. It's not even around anymore. And so they would translate words into Greek from the Aramaic based on the Hebrew, and we now have it in English. It's the same concept, though. But you have to understand what they're really talking about. So let's talk about those things there. Notice why it says afterwards. These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, all the time. Teach them to your kids. Talk about with each other all the time. This is not just a Sunday only thing for an hour. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Didn't mean literal. It meant may your work show it. Symbols on your hands. May your thoughts, may your, your attitudes, may all of your actions show it. And write them on the door frames of your homes. May your homes show it and your gates. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. So let me talk about that, and then we're going to go back to Matthew 25 and see three parables in a little different light very quickly. But let me give you the game plan. We're getting ready for the Super Bowl. They have a game plan. Whether it works or not, we'll find out. Our game plan today is to look at this word together, understand stewardship in a different way, link it to how we love God, because that's how it's designed to be, but then we're going to have an invitation. And the invitation is this. If Patricia was with me, my wife, we would lead you in this, of coming to the front, gathering around, and praying to recommit ourselves to be better stewards for God. Say, so why do I need to do that? Well, for one thing, every time you come to church, you come to respond. If you didn't come to respond to God's word, then I want you to rethink that. Because it does no good to sing just as I am and leave just as we were. Does that make sense? I should expect God to do something in my life every time I come, but I should also expect him to challenge me to do something different when I leave. To respond in a way that says I will approach these situations different. I will change some of my attitudes, some of my thoughts, some of my actions. But why do I need to come down here? I've already been saved. It's not about coming down here to be saved. It's about presence. There's something powerful when I'm surrounded by other brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying with me and for me. That helps me in my walk together. When I was here last, we talked about faith and encouraging each other in our faith. And so I ask you to, if you don't want to do that, just pray where you are. But we're going to look at loving God in a little different way through stewardship this morning. And then our challenge is, will we commit as a church to do that? Maybe you need to pray with your family and you've never done that before. Maybe you need to pray for your pastor or your staff and you want to get with them and pray for them. But we want to have an invitation. 
Why? So we respond to what God tells us in his word. So love the Lord your God with all your heart. That doesn't mean, oh, I love you and emotions and, oh, I need to go to Hallmark, God. <laughs> you see, emotions for the Hebrew were not in the heart. They were in the bowels, in the gut. I love you with all my spleen. <laughs> my kidneys ache for you. Baby, you make my bowels growl. <laughs> you know, those are the Hallmark cards the Hebrews had. You know, that's it. The, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Well, they took it that way. That's why they always looked at the innards of the chickens and animals they killed to see what was going on. That's where the emojis were, apparently. But what does that mean when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart? It's not emotions. The heart was the center of your attitudes. That's where you thought. She pondered these things in her heart, it says about Mary. Meditate on these in your heart, the psalmist says. The heart, they didn't know about this gray matter up here. And so they used the term heart as the center of their thoughts. This is where I, I think. This is who I am, what I'm about. Love the Lord your God with all your attitudes. Why? Because attitudes change everything, don't they? How I approach life. Shared a little thing this morning in the first session about I do what I do because of who I am, but I am who I am because of whose I am. That's an attitude that changes how I relate to others. It changes how I make decisions. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your attitudes. Then all your soul. Now the word soul there is nephesh in the Hebrew. It's the same word that's used in Genesis when it says God breathed into Adam and gave him life. It means God's spirit. It's, it's the life force that God gave you. But it's more than that. The soul was the center of your will. It's where you make your decisions. It results in actions. You see, I don't have the right attitude, but I may not act on it. It's only when I love God with all my soul that I act on it and do what he tells me to do. And you never know what that's going to be like. Sometimes God will tell you to do things you never dreamed of. Years ago, and I, I, I saved this for this time to share instead of in the first time, talking about generosity, about giving this, not just the tithe. My mom and dad were visiting there in Plainview, and we'd gone to eat at Furs. It's not there anymore. But we're eating. I'm going to buy the, the lunch for them. They've come to, to play with the grandkids and warp their minds like good grandparents should. And as I'm going to pay, God lays it on my heart to pay for the gentleman that's next to us at a table by himself. And so I just pay for it. I go back, tell Patricia, you know, I, I took care of his also. Uh, I'll take the boys because that's what dad does when you only have boys. So I'm taking care of them. Get to the car later, and dad says, did you pay for his meal? I said, yeah. Why? Because God told me to. 
And he said, that's incredible. Now, my dad was a minister. He understood all this, but you don't always see it in action. What they proceeded to tell me, because I'm nowhere near it. I'm at the car with the boys. Is he got up, went to pay, found out that someone at the table next to him had paid. He went back and asked my dad, you know, did you pay for my meal? And dad's going, no. And Patricia says, no, Mike, Michael did. My husband did. And, and he's not here. And why? Well, because God told him to. Number one, I had to have an attitude that said, I'll listen to God. Number two, I had to follow through when he told me to do something simple like pay for someone's meal. But then that gentleman began to share with them. He was on his way back from a funeral where he had just buried his wife back at the family plot up in Dalhart. And nobody showed up. And he was sitting there thinking, why am I still here? Because nobody remembers me. But then he went on to say, but God does. One meal changed everything. But it wouldn't have if I hadn't had the attitude to listen to God and followed it through with loving him with all my soul, the action to do what God said, even when I didn't understand it. Third thing. Love him with all your strength. Now, strength is not Popeye. It's not bodybuilder. That's what we think of. Strength meant all your assets, your resources. Yes, it is finances, but it's all your finances. Use them wisely for him. When you pay your bills on time, you're showing you love God because you're being a good witness. You're managing what he gave you. It's not just tithing or the offering. Do that, but it's more. But for the Hebrew, all your strength didn't mean just your finances. Your assets were your land, your workers, your servants. But also the greatest asset you had is your family, your spouse, your children. Did you raise them to follow God? What does he say in those verses? Your children. Teach them all the time. Spend time. Love God with your children, with your family. Let me give you some priorities real quick, and then we'll go to Matthew 25. Five priorities. You ready? Take your hand. Do like this so you can remember. Number one, my first priority is God, because if I have a thumb, I can do anything just about. You see somebody without a thumb, it's hard to do stuff. Number two, my family. I can do a lot with just two fingers, can I? I know somebody who plays the guitar with two fingers. I didn't say he played well, but he played the guitar. <laughs> All right. God, my family, the family of God. That's my extended family. Three, my workplace. And four, my community. Too many times we get in trouble because we put three or four or five work or community ahead of God and family. My cousins ran from God for years because their dad, who was a pastor, 
put God ahead of family. Oh, but he's a pastor. No, he put work and community ahead of time with family. Your first church is your family. God, family, the family of God, your work, and then your community. It's real simple. Keep God first, eh? As Fonzie would say, eh? Okay. Love the Lord your God with all your attitudes, your heart, with all your actions, your soul, with all your assets, your strength. God, family, family of God, work, community. I am, I am. Turn to Matthew 25 very quickly. Matthew 25, you have three parables. These are the last parables he tells his disciples before he's crucified. Many times we look at these separately, but if you take them together, you'll see something perhaps you never saw before. The first one is the parable of ten virgins. It's a wedding feast. And let me just summarize very quickly. In that day and time, if you were getting married, you got married at your family compound. Because what normally happened is you added a new room to the family villa complex. That's why it says, in my father's house are many rooms. King James said mansions. I don't want a big mansion where I'm all alone and rambling around in all these rooms. I like the idea of God added a room for me on his house. I get to live with him. That's the idea that's conveyed there. But the groom would leave there with a wagon, a cart, go down, and on the way, everybody would bring their gifts. Remember the wedding shower? Only in this case, it's a wedding wagon. And he'd get the bride, and then he'd go back to the place of it, and everybody's bringing their gifts. Well, in this case, you have these ten virgins, these young girls, who have a lamp, and that lamp represents the heavenly blessing for the new couple. It's not there to illuminate everything because they normally had the wedding at midday when there's lots of light. It's a sign of God's blessing upon them. Well, they think he's going to be back by noon. And yet it says around midnight, the cry comes out, here he comes. I mean, everybody in the community is giving him their gifts. They're taking time to celebrate and, and congratulate. And five of them go, we don't have enough oil. We've run out. Five had extra. And so the five with none say, give us some of yours. You go, no, man, it took him till midnight to get here. Who knows how long this wedding will last? Go down to the Ace Hardware and get your own oil. That's in the paraphrased version. <laughs> but while they're gone to get oil, the bridegroom arrives. They're left out. Look what it says there at the end. Therefore, verse 13, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. It's not so much about judgments coming. It's about your attitudes in response to he is coming. Not an attitude of fear, but I need to be ready. I need to be doing what he said. I need to love him with all my heart. Why? Because he's coming again. And my attitude needs to be one of expecting that and living like he's coming back. 
Not, oh, I can do that 10 years from now. No, he could come back today. What am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? There has to be a little urgency in the way we approach things in our attitude because we expect him to return. Otherwise, we're like those who don't have any faith because, eh, we'll live our life and then we'll go see him. No, he may come back at any time. So I need to have an attitude that says I need to do things right now. Love the Lord your God with all your attitude. Keep watch. When you go to Walmart, do you see people and think, eh, they're in my way? Or do you see people and think, God could come back tomorrow and they're not saved? Who's going to invite them to church? Who's going to tell them about Jesus? Who's going to love them? See, it's not just our attitude about our lives. It's our attitude about everyone around us. I know, you drive in Albuquerque, we talked about that earlier, and there are a lot of times that you want to tell them where to go and it's not a nice place. And you're, not a, Christ, you're a Christian and you can't tell them that because you shouldn't be wanting them to go there. But if we don't really want them to go there, are we doing anything to help them keep from going there? Have you invited them to church, even your neighbors? Have you shared what God's doing? The good news of the gospel is not just what's in this, it's what's in my life today. Look what God did today in my life, yesterday, this last week, through the years. Share that. That's part of the gospel story. What is your attitude? Second parable. This one's very blunt. It's about money. A talent in that day was not a talent like we think of today, it was a denomination of money. And you have a master giving to his servants five to one, two, to one, one. He goes off, comes back. The one with five earned five more. He says, here you go. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The one with two earned two more. Here you go. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the one with one talent did what? He buried it. Look there with me. I buried it. Master said, in my Bible, it says this. I was afraid you went out. Uh, or I was afraid, verse 25, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not gathered or scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the church finance corporation. And then I would have returned back and had better interest than in the bank. Now, all that information's over there because it's, I got to always find investors to, to lend money to churches. The lesson is you're supposed to use what God's given you for him in a way that multiplies it. Because notice what it says just after that. He takes that one talent, gives it to the one with ten, and it says this, verse 29. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Has, have, have. Everyone who has multiplied and used wisely what I've given them, I will trust them with more. But everyone who has not done that, I'll take away what I gave them. I'll take away what they have because they're not using it for me. Pretty simple lesson. Love the Lord your God with all your assets. Not just your finances. Love him with your knowledge. 
How can you use it for God? With your skills, with your talents, yes, but also your children. Every home we've ever been in, we've dedicated to God and said, God, use this as an outreach to our neighbors, to our church, and to others. And I can't tell you how many Nerf bullets are still in the house in Plainview, even after we sold it, because all the kids came to our house to play Nerf guns. But that was the way God let us share him with them and their families. Are your assets his? All of them. Have you dedicated your children to God? But are you keeping that going? It didn't always happen, but a few years ago, we started this. And every week, both of my sons at separate times when they're off of work, call and we go through scripture together. We'll go through a few chapters of the Bible. Just what do you see there? Have a short Bible study, but we're also reading a book together. For my older son, we're reading the book Defined, which went with the Overcomer movie that came out. Who am I in God? Wonderful book. For my younger son, we're reading a book on pastoral leadership, one we use for class as I teach classes here for Gateway. And we go through that for a little bit, just an hour a week. But I can't tell you the difference it makes in their life and in my life. Do what you can with your kids when they're younger, but don't stop just because they leave the house. Love the Lord your God with all your assets, starting with your family. Remember, God and then family. Third thing, here's another parable very quickly. Day of judgment will come. There are sheep and goats. That's how he describes them. The sheep, well done, good and faithful. Over here, goats, you're going to be judged. Why? Well, look there at what he says. 41. He'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they'll say, when did we see you, hungry or thirsty or stranger, or needing clothes or sick or in prison, and did not help you? And I tell you the truth, he says. Whatever you did not do for one of these, the least of these, you did not do for me. To the righteous, he said, whatever you did for one of these, you did for me. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your actions. I never saw this growing up, but I can't help but read these without thinking He's reinforcing the great commandment again, the Shema that they learned as a child. The last thing he's telling them is you need to keep doing that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your attitudes, with all your soul, your actions, with all your strength, your assets. It starts when you give your life to Christ because you can't love God until you've given him your life, until he's your Lord. Because it says, love the Lord your God. He has to be yours first. So as we come to this time of invitation, a time of response, that's the first thing. Have you given your life to Christ? Is he your Lord? If not, do that today. He could come back tomorrow. 
And then it's too late. Give your life to him, please. It's real simple. Lord Jesus, I believe you. Please forgive me. I give you my life. All you have to believe is that, yeah, he did come. He lived a perfect life. He died and he rose again for you and for me. But there's no magic words. It's simply, I give you my life. I want to be yours. Forgive me. Grow me. I'll follow you. Maybe you just need to recommit yourself to loving God completely. We're not going to sing during the invitation. We're just going to play some music. We'll dim the lights. Floyd's going to come up here. I'm going to go to the side and pray and recommit myself. I invite you to come and join me. Would you stand with me as we pray together and then we're going to have this time of invitation. As we stand, heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, we pray right now that when we think of stewardship, we would think of love. To love you with all that we are, all our heart, our soul, our strength, all our attitudes, our actions, all our assets. And Lord, as a people gathered today, we come to recommit ourselves, to pray for each other, to pray with our families, to pray for our spouse, our kids, our grandchildren, and to say we are yours to make this year truly a year that everybody sees our love for you in all that we say, all that we do, all that we are. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I invite you to come this morning, to come and commit yourself, to come give your life to Christ if you've never done that before. Floyd's going to be here, but would you come join me as we just pray together, as we commit ourselves together. Would you pray with your spouse? you pray for your grandkids, your children, but would you come right now as we come to this time of response? You come as the music plays right now. Thank you for listening, and we pray you were blessed by today's message. You're invited to worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For directions and information about Soul Rio and our weekly events, please visit our website, at soulrio.com. You may also contact us by phone at area code 505-792-8737 or email us at info at soulrio.com. At Soul Rio, we're a community of followers of Jesus Christ, committed to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope to our community invite you to go with us on this journey.